Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. How does a half Italian, half Southern girl go on once diagnosed with celiac disease? Gluten-free seems to be this decade's buzzwords. Every time I go into the grocery store, all the foods talk about not having gluten and being gluten-free. And these are foods that never had gluten to begin with. But this is really a serious issue for some people. And today's guest, Anna Vocino, is here to talk about her journey into a gluten-free lifestyle since 2002. Anna is an actor and also the co-host of the Angriest Trainer podcast, one of my favorites. And Anna blogs about gluten-free versions of comfort food from her heritage at glutenfreeanna.com. And this fall, her cookbook will be coming out. I'll have links to all of that on her interview page. Anna, hello and welcome to my show. Hi, thanks for having me. We're going to have fun. We are going to have fun. So let's talk about this. How did you, you know, get into this gluten-free world back in, especially 2002? 2002. Yeah. You know what? It's funny because I always feel like when I was diagnosed, there was a little bit of knowledge and like a couple of products on the market. At least, you know, Whole Foods was a nationwide chain at that point. Well, most places at least, but it wasn't people didn't know what it meant. Like if I said, oh, I can't have any wheat, they'd say, what, meat? No, no, wheat. <laughs> why Why would you not eat that? You know. Um, but I got into it because a friend of mine who was diagnosed uh, type 1 diabetic, pretty much as late as you can be diagnosed, she was 30 when she was diagnosed with it, which usually that, it used to be called juvenile onset diabetes. Mm-hmm. And and she told me about it that that celiac sometimes goes hand in hand, but not always. So she was always really careful to avoid gluten because she didn't want to have. Ce- I don't know. It was all no nobody knew. We didn't know what we were talking about at all. And um and then my mom was so ill, and she's been quite. She's been struggling with a lot of health problems her entire life. So she was fifty eight, and I was twenty eight. And so she had a good 30 years on me of eating gluten and making herself sick. And I finally, she was getting to the point where she had to go into the doctor's office, to the hospital every eight weeks to get a blood transfusion because her body wasn't making enough blood. That's how much she wasn't thriving. She suffered from depression and skin issues and, and brittle bones. And she was starting to develop some really bad arthritis, which some of the, all of them now we know are the very common traits of what your body does to itself when you have celiac disease. So I, I said, I've heard of this thing. Just ask them to, t-. you know, we had to research what the test was because regular doctors and internists and GPs didn't know what to look for. And um, sure enough, that's what it was. And when she started cutting the gluten out of her diet, she started to feel better. And, um, oh, I know we were just talking about uh, having our houses be quiet. My daughter's bringing me some water. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's real life. This is what it's happens. It's real life. This is what's going down right now. Ah, oh, now I'm refreshed. Um, so then they then the doctor told her, well, unfortunately, celiac disease runs in the family. So your daughter mm. needs to be tested and her daughter needs to be tested. So there we go. And I was thinking, well, I'm an actress. I never eat bread or pasta. And um, <laughs> which wasn't even entirely true. I could down like half a box of those JoJo cookies from Trader Joe's, which are their version of Oreos in like, you know, a split second. So, but I was always so thin. I was always a zero or a two. I could eat whatever I wanted. Well, turns out I had celiac disease. So I wasn't digesting a single nutrient my entire life. 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't have the cramping that some people who who are celiac would have. No, I think I did have that, but I just thought that it wasn't all the time. Uh And I just thought that it was normal to have to go to the bathroom and have (laughs) diarrhea all the time. Like I just, and especially at 28, like you look back at, or you look at a 28 year old and that's like really when you're just so vibrant and healthy and your body hasn't had time to break down yet because you're so young and in shape. And, and, and there were so many health issues that I was dealing with just thinking, oh, well, it's normal to have asthma. Oh, it's normal to have upset stomach all the time. Oh, it's normal to have, you know, cystic acne when you're not a teenager, you know what I mean? Like all these things that were, that were my weak spots. Everybody has different weak spots and then seeing how they cleared up over time. Well, and that goes to like, um, elimination diets, right? Where when Mm -hmm. you take something out and then see how your body is and then you put it back, then you start to realize, oh, that normal state of being like for me, you know, having a fog brain, I just thought that was kind of normal or being exhausted on a Saturday afternoon. I thought, oh, well, this is just normal. Oh, the exhaustion. I used to be so exhausted. I could never, I hated school. I loved school because I loved the academics, but I hated trying to stay awake. I could mm-hmm. not stay awake in classes. It was hard. And I realize now part of it was the celiac and it just wasn't working for me. Wow. All right. So here you are. You're an actress, size zero to size two. Yeah. Right? Find out that you and you got tested, right, for celiac? Yes. They did the 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 blood test, which of course I can't remember the name now, so I'm a terrible in, informant. Uh but if you go to I know that's uh what's it called? The Celiac Foundation at celiac.org. They have they they'll tell you everything. They're a really wonderful organization that um I like them a lot and I know the founder and she's a lovely lady. She was diagnosed when she was in 1972 or something before anybody knew what it was. So she's like been dealing with it way longer. Um but I, uh, I took the blood test and that came back positive. And so then I had to have an endoscopy. And at the time, you know, we're young. We have a two-year-old, my husband and I, and we had Kaiser Permanente mm-hmm. and I had an endoscopy while I was awake. Like they gave me a little bit of a value. I come to find out that that's like third world medical practice. <laughs> Because you're not supposed to be awake. It was a horrible experience. I, they, you know, gave me some sedative or something, but I was still awake, you know. And um, you're supposed to be out completely. Uh, so just so you, you know, people, if you're going to go for the endoscopy, you should be under anesthesia unless you have a problem with anesthesia. Um, so, yeah, they gave me the endoscopy and it came back. Those villi in the small intestines have been destroyed because what it is is an autoimmune disease where you your immune system destroys the villi in the small intestines when, as a reaction to having gluten. And then when you don't have villi in your small intestines, you don't absorb any nutrients. Now, is this something that's hereditary that's, that, that happens? It is. It is hereditary. And, um, and although there are a lot more men being diagnosed these days, it is predominantly a female disease so far. I, a lot of people haven't been tested, though. That's the thing. There's not a lot of awareness... Because of the whole gluten-free fad that's mm-hmm. happening, there's it's been a double-edged sword. It's really wonderful because food companies are now coming up with alternatives, which is great to have options because trust me, I've, I've hemorrhaged cash on every single processed food option trying to replicate what we used to eat. And half of it's just absolute garbage. Mm-hmm. So, And it's really expensive. It's expensive to make these products because it, you have to source ingredients and raw materials that are more expensive to manufacture. So, and then the other end of it is that, um, people just roll their eyes at you. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's not a real thing. Gluten-free is not a real thing. No, it's really hard because I, my husband's very resistant to the whole thing because, um, you know, he remembers the fat-free craze in the 90s, mm-hmm. right? And it's in this gluten-free... Me too. Like, Snack right. wells, baby. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, this is another fad. And Well, it, he's right. It is a fad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It but it's a fad because everybody's constantly looking for a way to lose weight. <sighs> There's a reason why. And so if somebody says, oh, well, I lost all this weight going gluten-free, then everyone's going to go, what is that? What is that? What is that? Tell me what it is. I'm going to try it. And then they do it for three weeks or whatever. And then it Oh, it didn't work. Oh, I gained weight. Oh, it did, you know. Mm-hmm. Because going gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose weight. Some people do. Some people don't. It's not you it's not a tool for weight loss. And I think that's the important thing. It's not about going gluten-free because the outcome is weight loss, right? You went gluten-free right. because that's what your body needed. That's what works for your body. Yes. And it's it's like Celiac is an autoimmune disease, right? Okay, fine. It's really like it's all it's funny to me because like if you're going to have a disease, it's probably the easiest disease to have because all you have to do is cut out gluten. It's really you know what I mean, and you're going to be fine. And so thank God that like that okay, if that's what I'm going to deal with, that's what I'm going to deal with and it's going to be totally fine. And um considering the number of serious diseases people struggle with all the time. So it's like but it still is a disease. It's still a real thing. I still don't want to hurt my body and like cumulative, cumulatively set myself up over the years for lymphoma and lupus and the, the complications that celiacs tend to get should they keep eating gluten for the rest of their lives. So, you know, I, I want to be healthy. But also at the same time, I, I mean, look, I was 28 when I was diagnosed when you should be at the peak of your health. And I was. I was always – I danced for 14 years. I was always on sports teams. I was always, you know – acting and doing yoga and like just very active. But when the tests came down to it, I had osteopenia. I was severely anemic and didn't know it. I was suffering from really bad asthma and allergies. Like I couldn't even walk out into the night air. I, uh, you know, all this stuff was going upset stomach and and all this stuff was going on. And uh, I'm surprised, honestly, I got through my pregnancy. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. it it was just like, because that's the nature of pregnancy is that the baby needs to take all the nutrients. Mm -hmm. So it's, gosh, it's like, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I bet you anything, if I had gone another five to 10 years, I would have gotten progressively more chronic conditions, mm-hmm. you know, without, yeah. and still been like, I don't know, I guess it's, you know, well, fibromyalgia, I guess that's what I'm gonna have to deal with. Oh, lupus, I guess that's what I'm gonna have to deal with. And so I'm very lucky that I was diagnosed. Now the flip side, which I know that you and I are going to talk about is that for me personally, um, once those villi grew back and I was absorbing nutrients, <laughs> I absorbed food and started putting on weight slowly but surely. But my body was like, oh, yeah, this is this is this is what's going on. Now we can absorb some food. Uh-huh. And so then vanity Anna goes, Oh no, no, I liked being able to eat whatever I wanted and not gain a pound. That, so. You know, that's really interesting, I think, for so many people because, you know, you, you would have been those women that most women probably hated. Like, oh, my gosh, she can sit here and oh, yeah. eat all this food and look at her. She's a size zero. That's just not fair, right? Yeah. Thinking that you had good things but also not seeing you were kind of heading towards a train wreck. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is no matter how you cut it, gluten or no gluten, I was not making healthy choices in my diet back then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And what I realized now, like I had no idea about gluten, dairy, and sugar 
And I, I started going to a, an alternative health care practitioner who kind of told me about that sometimes those things. And, and I was like, whatever. And then when I was diagnosed with celiac, I wanted to find out more. And um, so I, I, I don't know. It's like you give up the foods, the, you know, no, no more Oreos. And yet I was still gaining weight. Hmm. And how did you deal with that? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to put on weight. I don't, you know, and I know that every woman, especially in this country, when we're, you know, just barraged with media mm-hmm. images of what is considered by the social norm to be hot. And, and, and we don't, we can't process it like, oh, that's been photoshopped. Oh, that's, you know what I mean? We can't process that. We can't process it. That's lighting and Photoshop and makeup. And, and, and I'm even working that business. And I still am like, I see the picture. I'm like, oh, she's so pretty and skinny. You know, you just Mm -hmm. unconsciously do that. So to put on weight, you know, you're all on this journey and we're all trying to figure out how to love ourselves. I really feel like it's only been since I turned 40 that I'm like, oh, oh no, no, you're okay. Everything's okay. You know, you're a comedian. You're still going to work. It's not about being super skinny. And that's the other thing, working in a business where Mm -hmm. that is being so rail thin is revered. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not right. It's a sickness. It really is. It's a sickness. Well, you know, um, so one of the things about brain research, what they figured out is that the frontal lobe, the front part of our brain processes information at 40 bits per second. And Mm. the subconscious mind processes information. I believe it's 11 million bits per second. Right. That's amazing. So when you think about it, like even though you are behind that, you know, I call it the green curtain, right? The Wizard of Oz, the green curtain. Right. You're down in Hollywood. You know, you know what these actresses look like in real life versus how they look in the media and what we see them. Your subconscious is still like, oh, but look at this. And let me compare and despair against that. Right. This, right. This unreal thing to my own inner reality and outer reality. Compare and despair. I really like that phrase. Yeah. We do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but, and it doesn't, it literally never serves you. The taking score thing, that's what we call it in this household. Whenever you take score, it doesn't work. You yeah. just will always feel like crap. Yeah, no, you do. And you, I mean, and you're comparing again the outsides of somebody else who's maybe been photoshopped or made look better to your, you know, your own internal self hatred and then the wrinkles that you mm-hmm. may see or, you know, whatever's right. going on. It's fun, isn't it? Aren't we fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We make our lives very much so much harder than it really is. I know. Needs to we don't be. need to be doing any of that. But, uh, yeah. That's yeah. that. And you know what? I got to say, that's the good part about aging is that you really do start to care less and less, which is nice. It's freeing. But, um, but still, you want to be healthy and mm-hmm. you want to, you know, feel good in your body. You want to feel good in your skin. And I was starting to not. And I was starting to figure out that, you know, I can, sure, I can make a killer gluten free lasagna and a wonderful lime tart and, um, you know, meatballs and chicken parm and whatever. I can make it all and, and make it gluten-free and make it so that if somebody comes to my house, they won't know that it's gluten-free. I want the, I want it to taste like the regular version. That's That was kind of my goal. But then I realized I just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, enter Vinnie Tortorich into my life, who's my co-host <laughs> on the Angriest Trainer podcast. And also, too, I, you know, me personally, I've been going through some things. I was on a series that was uh, canceled a few years ago, and I know all series are canceled. And but it, for some reason, it really hit me hard. I was going through a big grieving process with it, and luckily, I have this voiceover career, so I could just I, I joke about it. But it, I caught you know, say the veal is in the cave, or the you know, I'm in the bat cave, hiding out in my studio doing voiceover. 
Um, so that kind of got me through it, but I, 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 I wasn't wanting to go out there and be on camera because I was self-conscious about having extra weight. And, um, yeah. Anna's, you know, so here you are, you're all of a sudden, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing for your health of your body and you're putting on the weight, which then creates problems for the work that you do in the industry, right? The environment that you live in is very, very, this very skinny, that's success, right? That's the environment. Yeah. It is. Yeah, go ahead. How do you cope with that? How did you cope well, with that? It's that's a good question. And and I like being really open and honest with this because I don't think a lot of actresses are. And there's a couple of things that are twofold. First of all, I am a character actress, so I get I get a little more of a pass than the than the ladies who are leading ladies. And that's not fair. You know what I mean? And and it I am constantly still when I watch TV filing through my mental Rolodex to see somebody on TV who looks like me. Mm-hmm. Not like a huge, large character actor, but not a real thin actor. I want to see somebody who's a size eight to 10, mm-hmm. like I am mm-hmm. and see like, and you don't see it that often. You really don't. And um, because there's like this in-between phase and this thing that we have when we see women that they should be, you're either a character, which means you're big mm-hmm. or you're unattractive, traditionally unattractive, or you're real thin and you're hot leading lady. Mm-hmm. So where do, where do, and most of us in America who like to watch TV, which I love to watch TV, want to see women who look like them mm-hmm. on TV. You want to see yourself represented. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an issue with, all around with race, with, you know, sexual orientation. It's hard mm-hmm. to see people who are represent, you know, all spectrums represented on TV. But okay, so... I get a pass a little bit because I'm a comedic actress. I get to go and be funny. And and so how I would cope with it was to tell myself, I have to be real general about it and just say like, listen, you're a comedic actress. It's okay. It really doesn't matter what you look like. If you look back on every role you've ever done, your weight had no significance in that character's you know, unfolding or development or exposition or whatever you want to call it, which is true. Any sort of importance to the weight I'm assigning it myself. So therefore I'm torturing myself. So stop it, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can kind of put the brakes on that way when you realize it's an inside job that you're kind of putting it on yourself you don't need to suffer through it like that. Um, the other thing is, but you still want to be healthy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for me personally, trying to create, recreate comfort foods, there's a reason that they're comfort foods because they have, they're either really high in sugar or they're really high in grains. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you give up gluten, wheat, one kind of grain, you're going to have to replace it with rice flour, sorghum flour, Mm -hmm. tapioca starch, potato starch, you you know, corn, you know, whatever the replacements are, it's still a grain. Mm -hmm. I mean, potatoes aren't obviously a grain, but potatoes for this purpose is considered a grain because it spikes your blood sugar. Grains spike your blood sugar. Sugar spikes your blood sugar. If you are insulin uh, resistant, like I was starting to become, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be stored as fat and you're going to pack on some weight. Not everybody's like that. So can can I share this? So this was a great um, metaphor that I don't know where I heard it or read it. But insulin is like your mother, where your mother's always telling you to clean up your room and put things away. And that's what insulin (laughs) does. And when you're insulin resistance, right, it packs it away into fat. And then that's why what you're talking about is so important is that, you know, when we eat these high carbs, high sugar, it's constantly raising our... um, our, you know, it's raising our blood sugar levels. And so the insulin's coming to bring those levels down 
But if you become insulin resistant, it starts packing away as fat. Tell me where I'm wrong with that, Anna. Yeah, I think so. I don't know all the science behind it. Um, I do. One book that I love is the Art and Science of Low Carbohydrate Living, but it's Finney and Volokh. That's I know it's P-H-I, Finney and Volokh. I love that book because it does get a little sciencey, and I kind of skip over that. But yes, that's my understanding of it. What you said, and I like that because then it basically like you're if you are the type of person who if you have some carbs, your body's going to immediately store it as fat, which is what my body was wanting to do. Um, and still does, um, it's like your body becomes a hoarder mm-hmm. and it's going to take that sugar and instantly convert it into fat. And, and I don't know, I don't know at all, all the science behind it, but I know the liver has got something to do with it. I know that female hormones are, are intertwined with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big thing. That was another thing I started noticing is, is a lot of female issues and then reading up on it, female hormones, especially after turning 35, you know, stuff was going a little haywire. And um, you, it's all interconnected. The whole endocrine system is interconnected. And that includes your insulin, your pituitary, your female hormones, you know. So it's got to be healthier. Okay. So I'm going to ask, you can say no, but do you mind sharing like what kind of female things were? Yeah, no, I don't. I am an open book, my friend. <laughs> I really, because I don't feel like people talk about this enough. So I'm, I'm happy to be the guinea pig for everybody. And I know every person is different. So even if you just go, huh, oh, well, I had a cyst one time and maybe, maybe it was, you know, and it gets you down the road to go figure out what it is that makes you feel better. Great. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to be everyone's guinea pig. Um, just don't make me be the scapegoat. <laughs> um, so no, for me, I was getting, I mentioned it earlier that cystic acne, which is like when you get one or two really painful underground zits under your, usually it's uh, your mouth and below. It's usually on your chin or on your bottom cheeks where they hurt. And, and then of course I'm a picker. I'm going to want to get in there and shove a bicycle spoke in the thing and see what I can do. And it would never, you know, they just become big, sore, infected under the skin zits. They, mm-hmm. They're cysts is what they are and they hurt. And it's very cyclical and it goes with your hormones. Um, which of course I didn't pay attention to for like 10 years. Um, uh, heavy periods, heavy cramps, heavy flow, shorter periods, um, cysts on the ovary, a, a big cysts, not polycystic ovarian disease, which is another thing that's happening with, with ladies who have too much carbs. Mm-hmm. This is happening. P- uh, PCOS it's called, and it's, and it's impeding ladies' fertility. And it's really alarming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm getting like the bigger kinds and they, they come and go, they come and go, but it's a hormonal fluctuation. And I come to find out after going to many doctors that it's an estrogen dominance and a, progest- a lack of progesterone plus a cortisol issue. Because that's another thing. We're all stressed out. Uh-huh. We don't know how to manage it. We freak out in traffic. We get angry at that email that comes in because, hello, you know, you woke up at six and immediately checked your email. And then sure enough, some bozo emailed you something that made you angry. You know what I mean? It's like we're constantly just stressed and, and overscheduled and trying to do that stuff. So for me, going through and having all my hormones tested and, and figuring this out and realizing, oh, okay, I need to, I need to work on this. I need to work on relaxing. Um, but the diet thing was a big component. So when I met Vinny Tortorich and he told me about giving up all sugars and grains, all of a sudden, all this stuff started clearing up for me. It took it. And again, it's a, it's a time consuming thing. It wasn't until like six to 12 months afterwards that I go, Hey, I have not had a face breakout wow. in a year. 
Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh my gosh, that's amazing. I don't have to like sit there with, oh God, I have an audition and now I've got to spackle this mountain on my chin. And, uh, and it hurts every time I try to move, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> your mouth moves. And it seems little, but it's not. It's really, it's wonderful. That's, you know, that's great. And I love how you say it took like six to 12 months, right? And it was kind of like almost that awareness where one day, this is what it sounds like to me. So Anna, you can tell me if I'm wrong about that. But one okay. day all of a sudden, like, my, my phrase is, you lift up your head and you're like, hey, this is what's happening. Like, you know, because when we go through change, sometimes it's not totally noticeable. It's not this light switch, right? Where you walk in a room and you turn right. on a light. It's this gradual process. And that's what it sounds like with you um, when you gave up sugar and grains. Well, and gradual is good because gradual means it's sustainable. Yes. Yes. I so agree. You can't, it's like, if I were to drop 10 pounds right, like by tomorrow, it something painful would have to happen to my body in order for that to happen. I know that everybody wants to lose 10 pounds right now, but trust me, you don't really want to lose 10 pounds right this second. And if you could drop weight that quickly, it's not sustainable because mm-hmm. you're going to go back to your regular patterns. And So making those little changes and then you notice, I don't know, it's just sustainability is really important because I, I don't know about you, but I've tried every diet out there. And this is the ironic thing, looking back at the Snackwell's craze of the 80s and 90s <laughs> and all that stuff and being like, oh my God, I was so skinny and still trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. I know. Isn't it crazy what we did to ourselves? It's sick. Yes. Yeah. No, it's crazy. No, I'm a huge fan of sustainability, right? And what are things that you can do? And so um, just this morning, I was thinking about it. I went to go swim and my husband came home and goes, you swam this morning. And I'm a former swimmer. I was a competitive swimmer in college and stuff. But, um, and and I've kind of walked away from it. I've gone back and forth through the years, but not really swam. But how I'm getting back in the pool instead of, you know, I used to train up to four hours a day, six days a week. And, yeah. and I remember when I retired and I'd be like, well, why would I swim for an hour? That's a waste of time. So it went and triggered that all or nothing. Like if I can't do it this way, then I'm just going to go here and be a mm-hmm. wild child and have a big old party in my mouth and, you know, not exercise at all. Right. right? And, and, and so now, you know, I, I have my exercise and movement routines that I do, but I think I'm going through a phase where I want to change things up. And so this summer, about once a week, I get back in the pool and I laugh because I think this morning I swam for 24 minutes, but that was all that I was fine. Right. That was enough. And, and I swam. And last Saturday, I, I actually went to the pool after a really long day and got in the water and I swam. And, but I know those for me to take those small steps, it's going to lead to more likelihood that I will be swimming more. Right. Then if yeah. I said, no, I'm going to swim six days a week and this is the workout. And, you know, then I get become overwhelmed and I can't do it. And that's what it sounds like with you with food is taking those small steps to lead to this long lasting change. Well, yeah. And I think too, you, when you, cha- when you make a dietary lifestyle change, which is not a diet, it is truly a lifestyle change to say, I am not going to have sugars and grains. And trust me, you'll be able to find stuff to eat that, you know, everyone's always worried. Well, then what do you eat? Don't worry. <laughs> I still find plenty to eat. <laughs> That's not a problem. Um, but when you're making those kind of lifestyle changes, you're unraveling a lot of, first of all, there's a lot of brainwashing surrounding, mm-hmm. oh, like for example, 
whole grains. What if I don't have whole grains? I'm not going to get the the nutritional value from whole grains. Made from whole grains, which by the way, people have paid me a lot of money to say those kinds of phrases. So I'm not, you know, (laughs) I'm not totally opposed to whole grains. I'm just not going to eat them for me personally. Um, But I'll take the money from it. No. and, And by the way, that's all marketing speak anyway. Pretty much every commercial is. And that's how I make my living. So uh-huh. exposed. You heard it here first. Um, they they will commercials will say anything they can within the legal limits to get you to trick you into buying their stuff. That's what they do. So um, as long as you know that going in, then you're fine. Um, the other thing is uh, there's a social uh, component. Um, you get sad, like, well, I'm going to my best friend's wedding, and I want to have someone to cake, or I'm going. It's okay, my wait, birthday, wait, wait. and I want to, you know, and you get and you get mad, and you have temper tantrums, and then sometimes when you have a temper tantrum, you have a tendency to soothe that temper tantrum with food. But have you ever had really good wedding cake? Only one time, and it was in 1999, <laughs> and it was my brother-in-law's wedding, and I was eight, seven months pregnant. And this is before I knew about the celiac. And my my father-in-law and I, everyone else was getting drunk outside and he doesn't drink and I was pregnant. And uh, so we were going around garbage mouthing everyone else's cake that they left on the table because it was such good cake. And I probably had like 40 pieces of cake. Other than that, no. I mean, but that's the thing is like most no, no. Wedding, wedding cake's cakes, not even that good. It's not, it's not that even good. that good. It's, I'm telling you, it's a psychological game that we do to ourselves. Like, wait, I can't have the wedding cake. Well, you actually, you can. If you want to, then have it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, but it's that story we tell ourselves of, mm-hmm. oh, I can't have it. And then we feel deprived. And then for me, my wild child likes to come because it's like, no, I'm going to have this party in my mouth. Let me show you because I don't want anyone to be the boss of me. And right. I would, I would totally overdo it. But really, I don't really like wedding cake. It's usually not that great. Now, my, my 14 year old daughter, we have this, I did this interview years ago with um, this baker from New York and she had this great cookbook and, you know, really great ingredients. And the cakes from there are amazing that mm. my daughter makes. They yeah, they are truly amazing. Cake. Yeah, that is the cake. But it's like they have to be kind of cake worthy because I'm not going to go eat that, you know, Costco cake because it's not going to be very good. But, oh, God, no. The the Costco cake <laughs> and the Ralph's cake. Uh, the sheet cakes that you buy from the grocery store with that. And then you, you well, this is the other thing. Your taste buds reform mm-hmm. or they come back to life or you just, you get more sense. I don't know what it is, but. I am I am that jerk who stands there at a party like, oh, you guys, did you taste that strawberry? It tastes like candy. <laughs> it's so good. And people are like, really? Because this candy over here tastes like candy. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> but but it's true. It, and, and that's a really fulfilling thing. But it takes a little bit of time to get there. And then you taste that that uh, Costco sheet cake frosting and you can taste the chemicals in, it, in the frosting. And you're like, mm. Yeah. And the vegetable oil, the soybean oil. Yeah. Yeah, the oil. Ugh. No. The emulsified whipped oil yeah. to give it the texture. Yeah. And it's like, eh, I don't really like it that much. But I used to. Yeah. I used to eat it and not really think much of it, you know. Yeah. So once we let go of the story and we can let our taste buds really be able to do their job and taste, you start to really realize what are really good food, it sounds like. Yeah. You start to reprioritize, I think. Mm-hmm. And like It's exactly what you said. It's like, it used to be... You know, if I'm going to have calories, it's if I'm going to say, you know, have sweets for calories, I'm going to have good calories. Now I don't even use the word calories. It's not even <laughs> in my vocabulary anymore, which is wonderful. Um, but now it's like, yeah, if I'm going to, if I'm going to have something that has sugars and grains in it, of course, I'm not saying I never eat it, but if I'm going to have something with, with it, like this place is known in New York that I love that has the best gluten-free pizza 
I'm going to have it and I'm going to enjoy it. Um, but I'm very deliberate about it. It's nice to be deliberate as opposed to just being like, you know, our lives are very social mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and they should be, you should be around your family and your friends all the time. And, um, but the pressure to eat, you know, especially in group foods, you always want to bring big comfort foods and to the group and, and, um, the pressure to, Oh, you got to eat it. And I don't know anybody else has like an Italian mother or an Italian grandmother mm-hmm. or it replace Italian with any sort of ethnicity where they love to feed people. Korean. Yep. Korean. Oh my God. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and, and you're, and you're basically insulting them if you don't eat. Yep. So, you know, you gotta, you, you do have to figure it out. It's, it is tricky to navigate, but you will, it'll be okay. Well, yeah. And don't you find that once you figure out kind of like, what are the principles? Like what, when you start to have your list, like I talk a lot about, you know, when you start to know what food you have, it's kind of like when you go to the grocery store, there's what 80,000 items at the grocery store. If, you know, when you think about people who come here from third world countries, they walk in, they're totally (laughs) overwhelmed. It's like, oh my gosh, right? But I can walk into my grocery store and be in and out of there in less than 10 minutes because I know what's on that list. And that's where, when I talk about this with food, it's once you know what are the foods that, you know, fuel you, then it, it really simplifies it. Sometimes it's, there's a learning process about, okay, what are the foods and how do I navigate this? But it doesn't right. have to be, cause like I always think about, I had a friend in the nineties who was really into fat free and, you know, f- there was a lot of anxiety around food, right? Mm-hmm. And then that created a lot of tension in any social gatherings around food. And, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like, I don't see you as being like this tense person. Like I have to have gluten free and I'm going to raise my flag and, no, and I'm going to convert I'm, people. I've never been like that. Yeah. In fact, most people don't even know that when I'm at a, a I don't I don't choose I don't choose to bring it up. The only time I brought it up is when I've had somebody's kid with me, like if there's a play date situation where you know you take all the kids mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I've had there's one girl at at my daughter's old school who had celiac, so I was very protective of her, probably more protective of her than I would be of myself, like making them at Baja Fresh clean the grill mm-hmm. <laughs> before they made her food and stuff. You know, I, I'm just. I prefer to kind of fly under the radar. And then if people ask me about it, I'm happy to talk about it. But I would never judge when anybody else eats. I would never like try to get preachy on it. You know, I, I have had my experience and I can tell you what my path has been, but you've got to figure out your own path. Well, and that's really important because like you had said earlier, you know, you had kind of had questions about food. And when you went to like, was it the natural doctor? And they mm-hmm. had said some stuff and you were like, eh. But it really wasn't until it's like, you know, Oprah will say, you know, the universe is speaking to you and they'll kind of thump you on the head. And if you don't listen, you know, then a brick will come down. And my my saying was always like, screw the brick. Like I had to go through the the brick wall a few times before I finally decided, oh, maybe it's time for me to wake up and be a little bit aware of this. Yeah, your your body will keep telling you. That's for sure. In fact, I have a good story about that. You want to hear it? Yes. Um, What if you said no? No. I don't want to hear your dumb story. Um, no, I was a, a political consultant right after my daughter was born. My aunt who owns a firm. Yeah, I, ha- I have had many lives um, in one lifetime. My aunt owns, a, I'm from Washington, D.C. My aunt has a political consulting firm on Capitol Hill and uh, a campaign finance consulting firm. Campaign finance might be the most boring aspect of politics, by the way. Uh, But she calls me right after Lucy's born, and she says, I have a way for you to be able to go to auditions, and you can stay home with the baby. I'm like, bring it on, because I do not want to go back to work and leave my baby. And she said, "Uh, you're going to have to learn campaign finance law. And I was like, sweet. 
bring it on. <laughs> and I did it. I did it. I learned it and I wound up doing it for eight years. And I would, you know, it was very flexible. So I could go on auditions. I could do jobs. Mm-hmm. I would take a break and I would do, uh, I would do a, uh, hold on. My kid just walked in. Not now, not now. Okay. I'll talk to you in a minute. <laughs> My daughter, who I wanted to spend so much time with, who I just kicked out of the room. <laughs> this um, is how she really does it, you guys. This is Ann yeah, Bocino. This, this is it. This is real right now. I'm opening nail polish for my 15-year-old. I can't get it open either. You're going to have to... Oh, there it is. Um, so I I powered through and, and I would take a break from it to go to a series and then I would go back to work because it was it was my thing. Like Until I knew that I could make a regular steady living from acting, I was not going to leave this. Uh-huh. So I... But I hated it. Like hated it, hated it, hated it. And part of it was that I'm just, it's not that I'm not into politics. I, I do. I'm at, I am interested in what's going on in the world and what's going on with our government and things like that. I just, I hated it. And I hated it because it meant that by doing that work, it meant I was not lined up with fully with making my living as an actor, which is what I really wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. So that was like a, it was a whole, it had a whole mess of stuff tied into it. Well, the 2006 election was particularly difficult for my set of clients that year. And all of them wound up doing pretty well, but still it was very, you know, all that stuff that you see on like Aaron Sorkin shows mm-hmm. and things like that, they are, you are working till four in the morning every day until the election cycle comes and then everyone gets super sick and disappears for like six months because they've worked their butts off. So I kept, I would like turn, after I'd have like a dicey phone call with somebody or trying to put out some sort of fire, I would turn to my husband and I would say, I just hate it. I hate it so much. And I would point to the, to my chest and I'd be like with with my hand wide open over the top, you know, kind of where your, your boobs and your solar plexus are. And I'd be like, I, I hate, I hate this work. I hate these people. I just feel like I have this fat man sitting on my chest right here. I'm just so angry. I'm just so mad. And I would go nuts. And he was like, okay. Um. (laughs) Well, By 2008, which is when I finally, you know, weaned off of my final client when I was done. By 2008, I think I did not do another election. By 2008, I had resentment lumps. I call them resentment lumps. But I basically had precancerous lumps in my breasts in that exact spot. Oh. That I had to have removed. And um, needless to say, I was like, oh, resentment lumps. That is for real. You can really do some damage to yourself by holding in all that rage and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And and I know that I'm not the only one who does it. There are a lot of people out there in jobs that are stressing them out. Yeah. No, it's that that whole mind-body connection is really important. Oof. Crazy. Yeah. And and like how you mentioned earlier, right? We and like I, I don't know about you, but I remember growing up and and I was always a skinny kid swimmer, right? So and I would be eating mm-hmm. the ho hos and all that stuff. Oh, and yeah. showing, see, I don't know why you guys are on diets because I'm eating two ho hos and what's the problem? Um, until some years later, but uh, <laughs> you know, but that yeah. that whole idea of like health was always how do you look, right? That was right. health. So it was like, well, yes. if you can eat yes. this, then you must be healthy because look at how you look. And mm-hmm. and it was about calories in, calories out. And we're finding that, you know, hormones are really important. Sleep is important. Mm-hmm. You know, managing your cortisol, managing your insulin, um, all that stuff is just very, very important into your overall being, overall well-being. And then one of the other things is that, you know, here we take ibuprofen to get rid of pain or to get rid of inflammation. Mm-hmm. But then we don't think that the foods that we eat can have an effect. Right. right. 
Yeah, I remember when I first had that kind of, I call it when a new wrinkle forms in your brain when you have a realization. <laughs> and I was like, wait, food is kind of like a drug. <laughs> yep. Duh. That happened to me. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hold on a second here. Anna, I call myself a slow learner. I'll get it eventually. I Trust me. I'm slow. And I still got a lot to learn, honey. <laughs> so do I. A lot. <laughs> Thank goodness for the show because I've been going seven and a half years. And man, the stuff I've learned over seven and a half years has been, it's been incredible. That's great. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's, a good, that's a good run. It's a very good run. So I want to go back to something you said earlier because I don't want to... Um, you had talked about you had a friend who was type 1 diabetic. And yes. that she had celiac? She did not oh, okay. have celiac. She's okay. She does not have celiac, but she's the one who told me about it because she would say, I'm not eating gluten because some diabetics also have celiac. And I didn't, she didn't want to trigger it in case it was a latent. Mm-hmm. That was also back when they thought celiac disease was latent and you could develop it later. I'm not sure where they are on it now, but I know then that was one of the things. Um, with celiac. And I want to talk about the difference between gluten intolerance and celiac. Gosh, that's a really good question. I I mean, that study came out that basically said they're not sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because when I was first diagnosed, Dr. Wilfred Weinstein, who sits on the celiac board, he's a doctor at UCLA, or at least was when, when, back when I was diagnosed, he's the one who also told me that I shouldn't have had the endoscopy while I was awake. I had a second endoscopy with him. Um, asleep. Some some years later, asleep. Thank you very much. And um, yeah. And, uh, and and the celiac diagnosis was again. He ha- he actually put me back on a gluten diet for like six weeks, and then I went back and had a. It was an interesting experiment. I, I was definitely his guinea pig, but I, I I was like, yeah, I can eat gluten, and I realized how horrible it made me feel. It made me feel absolutely dreadful. And sure enough, when I had the second endoscopy, yep. You have celiac. Well, okay. I already knew that. Um, but uh, he said, there are no conclusive tests that I like that uh, test for gluten intolerance. People have to just cut it out of their diet and then you know do the, what you're talking about, the elimination diet, and then mm-hmm. try it again. Now, I know that like Cyrex labs now, now that was many years ago, now there are labs that will test for it. And I'm unsure as to whether they're testing for an intolerance or an allergy or if those words, you can conflate them and they're the same word. I am not sure. But I, I really do think that if you are having upset stomach problems, migraines, joint pain, um, anything in that vein, any one of the symptoms that you see at the celiac page, you might not have celiac. I've had friends of mine with terrible you know, a bunch of these symptoms plus psoriasis and skin, all sorts of skin stuff. And they know, like, I don't like gluten. Like when I have a beer, I feel terrible for three days afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this is one of my guy friends, but he, when he went in to get tested, he tested negative, but he just knows, like, I just can't eat it. Mm -hmm. So he he probably, I mean, he doesn't have celiac. If he tested negative, he doesn't have celiac, but I guarantee you he has some sort of either sensitivity, allergy, or intolerance. And I'm not, I can't speak to, again, the medical terms of those, uh, of what that means and how to test for it. But I do know that you can just do an N equals one experiment, meaning (laughs) you Mm -hmm. cut it out. If you feel better, then you know. If you can't quite tell for three or four weeks and then you introduce it and you feel bad, then you know. Well, and here's the thing. like, Are there any medical downsides to not having gluten? I don't know. That's a great question. Right. Are we, are we missing out on something? 
by not, are we missing out on some sort of nutrient or mm-hmm. amino acid or some protein in gluten? Are we missing out on something? I don't, I, I have never been told that I am, mm-hmm. but I've never asked that question. That's a great question. So, I mean, I think anytime you go to eliminate something, I think that's, the, that's also the thing to look at. Like, you know, sugar right now with Dr. Robert Lustig and, you know, some other people out there, they're really going after sugar. But when you yeah. think about it, like, okay, what, what, what's really the downside of not having sugar? There isn't. It's that, it's that line in uh, Get Him to the Greek where uh, Jonah Hill says to Russell Brand, like Russell Brand's like, what do you talk, what do you mean quit drugs? And he's, and Jonah Hill's like, I'm just saying it, it can't hurt to not do heroin. <laughs> I kind of feel that way about sugar. Like it can't hurt to just not have any sugar. You're not hurting yourself. Oh, Anna, we've run out of time. Oh, on that note. (laughs) I know, on that note. So a couple takeaways for the listeners, and then I hope you come back so we can talk about your cookbook. Um, Oh, I would love to. Okay, but... I got to finish that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting. I got to get that done. I know. I'm waiting. So a couple takeaways for the listener. Like, you know, what? I guess what was the lesson that took you the longest to learn? Um that I don't have to eat until I'm absolutely full. Like I don't have to stuff myself. Um, I feel like when I am eating sugars and grains, that impulse of like, you know, no one can eat just one. Mm-hmm. If I could quote our friends at Frito-Lay. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you, you're used to just eating as much as you can because that's the nature of carbohydrates. They just, you know, Peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs. And you, and I, I used to call it the sweet, salty spiral mm-hmm. of doom where I would want something sweet mm-hmm. and I'd have a, a sweet thing. And then I would want something salty and I'd have a salty thing. Um, so then when I transitioned, so you have to raise your fat intake to not have the, the carbohydrates. So I still had that impulse to just shove food as fast as I could down my gullet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you get fuller faster when you have more fat, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but ignoring that and wanting to just keep soothing with the food took a long time to learn like, oh, I don't have to do that. And we live in a country of abundance and we're going to, you know what I mean? We're, there's always something to eat somewhere. You can always find something to eat. You don't, you're okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> calm down. I tell my clients, I go, you know, you have a car, or most of them do. You have a car, you have a wallet, and there's usually a grocery store, some sort of food that you can get to. So you you can yeah. make the choice. It's not that you are in this deprived world because no, we have we so abundant. much abundance, and and it's a it's a silly thing. So it took me a little while to learn that I didn't have to shove all the food down my gullet instantly until I was so completely full that I was stuffed. Mm-hmm. All right, one more takeaway. Um, one more takeaway is. Um, you know, you do, if, once you start cutting out the processed foods, unless you're, unless you have somebody cooking for you, like my husband does, Uh or unless you are, you know, able to get to the grocery store and you have a nice grocery store that prepares nice, a variety of nice, freshly prepared foods. Most people don't have that. Um, you are going to have to learn how to do a little bit around the kitchen Mm -hmm. and you are going to have, and so like preparation is key because you don't want to get to the point where you're so hungry that then you're just you know, like, ah, oh, forget it. I'm just going to order a pizza. Um, so I think preparation is key. Watch some cooking shows. You can learn a lot from watching some cooking shows because people are afraid. My girlfriend always says, I burn water. I'm like, no, you don't. 
that's the story that you have about you're afraid to be in the kitchen, but just start making stuff. I fail way more than I succeed at cooking, but that's how you learn. And, and, um, chances are somebody that you're cooking for is just going to be happy to have somebody, somebody (laughs) made something for them. They're going to eat it anyway. (laughs) I just learned how to cook about well, I've been learning in about last 14 or 15 months. And it was triggered because I was like, wow, I'm not a very good parent in the kitchen because I'd freak out because I was so ignorant. I'd be like, it has to be perfect, you know? No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't have to be perfect. So yeah. So there we go. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's the final takeaway. Well, Anna, thank you for being on the show today. It's been fun talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That was awesome. You can, that was Anna Vocino and you can find her at glutenfreeanna.com and I'll have links on her website and she has a blog there where she shares her gluten-free recipes, um, on that site. And, um, I just love talking with her because like I said, one of the reasons I was interested is that so often people will think that, Hey, I'm going to go gluten-free and I'm going to lose weight. And here she was gluten-free or no, she be pre previous to being gluten-free. She was a size zero or size two, and, and then she became a size eight or a 10 because her, her gut had healed and was actually absorbing the nutrients. Um, so the big, there was some stuff that she talked about that I think are so, so important. And you know this because you guys listen to the show, but she talked about sustainability. That is so important when we go and try to make these life changes, right? Behavioral changes. Like she said, yeah, you can go and lose 10 pounds really quick, but what's, What's going to be the cost and how hard is it going to be on your body? And when you do those quick weight loss programs, it actually increases cortisol. And all this latest research shows that your hormones are just as important in weight loss as anything else, right? And the types of food. So you want to keep that, the hormones, the cortisol decreased as much as possible and not stress it by going on a starvation diet, right? That was what I used to think of the only way of losing weight. Um, one of the other things that she said that is a huge word that I use all the time, especially with my clients, is the word deliberate. Making deliberate choices, right? Remember, instead of being this wild child where it's like, oh, you're not, the, this is my old voice. You're not the boss of me. Let me show you, right? And I would just go into this fog and eat whatever I wanted to, but not really paying attention. And just all of a sudden, my hand would be at the bottom of the bag and I'd be like, well, who ate all these chips or who ate all these cookies or who ate all the Oreos, whatever the food was but really being deliberate about the food that you eat and what choices you make, right? Like we talked about with the wedding cake. I mean, is that wedding cake really good? Is it not? And then when you find food that you really enjoy, I just invite you to eat it and enjoy it. So often, so many women that I work with struggle with guilt that they're bad because they're eating food that they enjoy, right? And they miss out on that experience that can be delicious. And then usually for them, it triggers them to want more because they never get satisfied. So, you know, I invite you to test those things. And I like Anna's story too, because she said, this is what worked for me. It's not a one size fits all, right? And I so believe that, right? Figuring out what works for you and how can you just keep kind of being persisting at something to find out what is the right combination, one a word that I use a lot with my clients again is what's the appropriate dosage, right? The dose, not a ghost dose. What's the dosage of something that that works for your body? When is when is too much makes you not feel good? It's about what's the right dose for you. Because if you have a friend like Anna who may have some sort of an autoimmune 
issue, disease that's going on and they can eat and you're watching them and you're envious and saying, wow, and you know, look at them eat all this stuff and all this so-called crap and they can do it, but I can't. What's wrong with me? You're seeing a snapshot in their moment in life. You, most people probably in Anna's life didn't realize that she was on this path to being in a train wreck with her health, right? And it was over time that she learned this and she's been able to, like I like to say, practice this for the last 12 years, right? And to find a lifestyle that works for her. So I really invite you to go and find those lifestyles that work for you and in a way that's um, in line with your yourself financially, in line with your your you know your personal values to do that. So often people will argue about, oh, gluten-free or it's this fat or again, what works for you? It's not about other people's opinions. It's not about their experiences, right? And just because Anna is gluten-free and she has been diagnosed as celiac, having celiac, that's her journey. And the thing I love about her is that she's not sitting here preaching to you that this is the way to do it. And, you know, and here I am. She's saying, this was my experience, right? And here were the stumbling blocks. And here is how I work in an industry and can continue to keep moving on, even with having gained some weight. And then now she's reshifting her health and then all the benefits that have worked for her. But that's her body. She's not saying that this is going to happen for you, right? She's saying this is what worked for her. And she also came to a point where I remember when she went to the doctor and they'd said a bunch of stuff and she's like, eh, but it wasn't till like, okay, you know, the universe kind of really thumped her on the head and she removed the gluten, right? And then she removed grains and sugars and she started noticing, hey, these things that I was having problem with, they've gone away. So it's really about staying in your own business, you know, and like I do the show as a way for you to see what is possible and to take nuggets from other people's journeys and to see, hmm, does that resonate with me, right? Does that, how how would I feel, you know? And, and remember, Anna and I talked about this, like I didn't know that, I thought brain fog or being really tired, I thought, wow, I'm just getting old, you know, at the age of, ripe old age of 30, I thought I'm just getting old, this is just part of being old. I didn't even think that what I was eating would had any effect about that, right? And Anna and I talked about it. I consider myself a slow learner. I'm learning. And as I get more clarity, I'm like, oh, why wouldn't I have thought that, hey, we take ibuprofen to take away pain. Maybe there are foods, right? And I haven't said what my foods are, but maybe there are foods that contribute to our pain or contribute to our brain fog or to our tiredness and understanding which ones those are. So I invite you to take a look at that stuff and see, you know, what you can take from this and and how you want to live your life with food, right? I mean, Anna is has Italian descent. Pasta and carbohydrates are really huge from her family. But she's been able to find a way that works in line with her family, right? Her heritage, how she wants to eat. And also within financial, right? She's talked about that. I mean, we didn't go into in huge depth, but it can be expensive to be eating, you know, gluten-free, especially if you buy the gluten-free products, you know. But one of the games that she likes or one of the things she likes to do is create food that's gluten-free where people don't even know because that's how she likes to conduct herself in a manner that food's not the issue where you can bring bring people around and socialize 
and have good food that doesn't feel make her feel bad afterwards, right? But she doesn't need other people to join along with her. And so that's why I wanted to share Anna with you because I just thought she had a great story. And um, also for just her story in the fact that she did gain weight, right? Because that's so contrary to what most people think. Because I know some people who use gluten-free as a diet. And then also how she's managed to continue working in Hollywood, right? Where the image is so important and how she said, okay, that may be the case, but, you know, let's look at the facts, right? I'm a character actress. What I do is fine. My weight has not been an issue to my getting or not getting jobs, right? And that becomes so important to really take a look at that and know what the facts are versus what's up in our head. You know, those are things that we've talked about before on the show. Um, So I hope you enjoy that story with Anna and just her journey. And like I said earlier, I'll have her back later on and we can talk about cooking and what's it like to cook in this gluten-free, you know, no grains, no sugars kind of way and eating food that tastes really good. And for those of you that are interested, this fall, I have another weight loss coaching um, circle that's coming up and it's about what we talked about. It's about finding fuel foods that work for you, not about me telling you what to eat, but doing it in a manner that's sustainable, doing it in a manner that feels like it feels really good where you're not feeling deprived or that, you know, so often my clients have so much shame, right? They have so much shame that they are bad. You know, they're not disciplined. There's something wrong with them. And that's why they have this weight. And that's not their case. For more information about the circle, you can go to howshereallydoesit.com forward slash weight loss circle. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www howshereallydoesit.com and thanks for listening today. On a lake She is dreaming She is drifting Never been so wide awake